Hey everybody, welcome back to the Practitioner's Podcast, where we're applying Jesus-style disciple-making to everyday life. This episode and all of our episodes are powered by Navigators Church Ministries, helping churches make disciples who can make disciples. For more information, check out their website, navigatorschurchministries.org. Welcome, everybody, to a special episode of the Practitioner's Podcast. Uh, Today, we're joined by a friend of mine, um, a person who I've looked up to for a number of years that we are really excited to introduce you guys to, and that is Dr. Dan Spader. And I'm going to read kind of a bio intro um, for all of you to know kind of who Dan is and uh, what he has done, what God has done in and through him over the years. Um, So here we go. Uh, Dr. Dan Spader was born on January 10th, 1951 in Mitchell, South Dakota. He grew up on a farm as part of a large family where he was one of 16 children. And on December 17th, 1970, Dan surrendered his life to Christ as a 19-year-old engineering student through the ministry of Campus Crusade. From there, Dan moved to Chicago and graduated from Moody Bible Institute in 1975 with a degree in evangelism. Later, he would go on to get his Master of Religious Education in 1979 from Trinity Seminary and his Doctor of Ministry in 1984, also from Trinity. Dan's ministry experience includes 12 years as a pastor. Ten of those years were as a youth pastor and two years pastoring a church plant. And in 1979, Dan founded Sun Life Ministries, a ministry that was focused on teaching the life of Christ developmentally believing that Jesus modeled how to create a movement of multiplying disciples. Sun Life is now a worldwide ministry that continues to draw people deep into the life of Christ in order to build disciple makers. Dan led Sun Life for 25 years before handing over leadership in 2005. At that time, he became the president of Global Youth Initiative, an alliance of ministries that are committed to creating indigenous movements of disciple making with younger leaders. Their focus is to advance the training and values of Jesus' life. Dan has written over 20 manuals for disciple-making training and produced um, a number of videos as well. He's written various books, including Four Chair Discipling, Walking as Jesus Walked, and Discipling as Jesus Discipled. Recently, he's poured himself into uh, the Like Jesus Initiative. Uh, That initiative is a comprehensive disciple-making training and app designed to help pastors, churches, and small groups make disciples like Jesus did in order to build a movement that will impact the world. Currently, he and his wife, Shar, live in Southern California. Uh, They have three daughters and are living near their eight grandchildren and immensely enjoying that. Uh, I met Dan in 2016 through a mutual friend, and over the past five years or so, we've partnered together at the National Disciple Making Forum and other discipleship.org gatherings. Um, personally, so that's the that's the formal stuff, but personally, I would say that uh, I've really enjoyed my friendship with, with you, Dan, and uh, really appreciate your generosity towards me, both in your time, um, but also just the sharing with me the things that you've learned over um, your years of following Jesus. And I'll say this, I was talking with Tony yesterday about this episode, and and thinking and preparing for this podcast, uh, I think if there was one person I could just do a download of their vision and perspective of Jesus and his life, uh, it would be you. But not just for the information, but mm. for the way that you live it out and the way that you've taught it. And so 
I'm super excited that you're here. Super excited for our listeners to get to know you a little bit. So um, that was a mouthful, but uh, not nearly as much as it could have been. <laughs> well, Justin, it's just great being with you. And uh, I have that mutual respect for you. I, I, My wife and I were just talking before this podcast how um, we both of us felt very uh, sovereignly God put us together. Uh, we were at a Sunday school class. Yep. And we randomly met each other and we ended, I think, being at the same table. Yep. And I asked you what you did. And you asked me what I did. And yeah. and uh, that led to a whole series of meetings and connections. And so it's just really fun to see how God orchestrates those kinds of relationships. Absolutely. Amen. You know, uh, D- Dan, via Justin, you've had an incredible impact on my life, too. Last year, I read the Gospels every month because... Um, Justin shared with me that you wanted to know the life of Jesus kind of like a, a movie, right? You could be dropped in anywhere. You would know uh, what, what came before, what came after it, and, and know a couple lines kind of in the middle of it. Uh, that's my paraphrase. But uh, I, I'm curious, how does somebody become a life of Jesus expert? I mean, wh- where did that start in your life? Well, it's a good question. Uh, for me, it very clear to answer. I was a brand new Christian, been a Christian a little bit over a year, started working part-time as a youth pastor in a tiny little church, didn't know anything about ministry, didn't know anything hardly about the church as a brand new Christ follower. And I was studying the Gospel of John at uh, a Bible school, Moody Bible Institute, and my professor, Stan Gundry, made a statement in passing that changed my whole life. In passing, he said, there's a good chance Christ's initial disciples could have been or probably were teenagers when Jesus began to work with them. Now, I was a brand new Christ follower. I didn't know the scriptures hardly at all, but I knew enough to know Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. And as a 20-year-old, I thought Jesus was an old guy and his disciples were a bunch of old guys. And when I said, heard the prof say that, I ran to him after the class and I said, prof, if that really true? And he said, yeah, it's true. John probably was 16, 17 years of age, the other disciples, late teens, early 20s. And all of a sudden, my whole picture of Jesus got turned upside down. I said, well, what did Jesus do with his youth group then? Because I was working with 16, 17, 18 year olds. Hmm. And the prof kind of chuckled and he had just compiled the Thomas Gundry Harmony of the Gospels. He was a co-author of that. And I think he wanted to sell one. So he said, you have to go to the bookstore, buy a harmony, and just (laughs) analyze the life of Christ. What did he do first year? Where did he go? What did he say? What did he not say? What did he not do that first year? Where did he go second year? Where did he go third year? Where did he go fourth year? What did he say? What did he not say? And in my engineering background, that just made so much sense to me. I went down to the bookstore, bought a harmony of the Gospels, and uh, for the next 10 years, it was my doctoral work. Every weekend, I would go away two, three days a month with just my Bible and the harmony and analyze the life of Christ and then try to apply what Jesus did in our youth group. We called our youth group Sun Life because we're just trying to figure out the son's life. And um, so I, I just mm. became, and God uniquely wired me, I think, for this, but I just became extremely passionate about trying to figure out what I like to call the real Jesus that walked on this earth. Not the not the caricature that we have of Jesus as kind of superhuman, uh, you know, who did miracles because he was God and we could never mm-hmm. do what he did. 
And yet over 40 times, Jesus said, do what I've done, walk as I walk, follow the pattern I gave you. So I just began to analyze in detail. I mean, I've been to Israel over 50 times, not because I like traveling, but because I love studying Jesus in the land where he lived because he becomes so real to me. And so I just spent my life trying to analyze what Jesus did real quickly when you begin to study Jesus in that way and study the harmony that way, harmony of the Gospels, and put the four Gospels together chronologically, you begin to realize, number one, Jesus was all about disciple making. Number two, he had a very clear strategy and plan for doing that. And number three, it was radical. Coleman says his, his, his plan was nothing less hmm. than revolutionary. And, and, and I began to see that. So we called our yeah. youth group sunlight and we're just going to try to do what Jesus did. Well, and again, to make a long story short, God began to really multiply the youth group. Students began to reach students. People began to come and say, how are you doing that? I don't know. We're just doing what Jesus did. Well, what's that? And so that led to a ministry called Sun Life Ministries, just teaching the life of Christ chronologically. Dan, I love that story. And one of the things I would love for our listeners to hear is a little bit about what came out of that initial study. Um, How did you begin teaching the life of Christ to your youth group? And I know Sun Life did that and continues to do that. Um, For our listeners, what, what, how would you communicate about how you teach that? How do you teach the priorities in the life of Christ? Well, and that's a great question. I, Whenever you study Jesus, I call it exegete the life of Christ. When you really get down to the real Jesus in his four years of ministry, I think there are two ways to analyze Jesus. One is you analyze how did Jesus make disciples? So he started with seekers, moved them to believers or disciples, then moved them to workers and then disciple makers. So he had a pathway of making disciples that he clearly understood. And more and more churches and ministries understand the disciple-making pathway. How do you make disciples who can make disciples ultimately reproduce? The different stages of growth and maturity. But, hmm. but probably the biggest thing that we did as an organization, and early on it's my leadership gifting because that is my primary gifting, I analyzed Jesus initially as a leader Hmm. What did Jesus do to create a movement? Because I soon discovered 40 times Jesus said, do what I've done, walk in the walk, follow a pattern I gave you. And as a leader, I asked the really tough questions. What did Jesus do that first year? What did he do the first 30 years to prepare? Then what did he do that first year? What did he do second year? And, and we've broken the life of Christ down into what we call five phases of building a movement. And uh, first phase being the preparation period. That's the first 30 years of Jesus' life. And then when he launched his ministry, he laid a, a foundation or the found uh, the pre- first of preparation. Then when the second phase is called the foundational phase, he models certain qualities. That's the second phase. We break that down through an acronym called Holy Spirit Power. Uh, Holy Spirit dependent, prayerfully guided, obedience learned, word centered, Exalt the Father in everything and relationships of love and integrity. I write about that in, in my books. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the second phase. Third phase is, is he developed a team 
where he goes, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And in that team of people, uh, Jesus began to equip them to reach their friends. Fourth phase is what we call outreach phase. This is where Jesus did 30 plus miracles. Uh, he only did two miracles in the first year and a half. 30 plus miracles in this, this um, fourth phase. This is where the ministry began to explode. And then the last phase, we call it the leadership multiplication phase. This is where after a night of prayer, Jesus told, chose the 12 uh, apostles that they might be with him and spend time with him. Now, mm -hmm. most people don't get this about Jesus, but it wasn't until two and a half years into it when Jesus chose the 12 and appointed them, I believe, not as disciples in training, but as leaders in development. And so mm -hmm. we call it the leadership multiplication phase. So I know I've said a lot there, but we, we've analyzed the life of Christ and break it down into five phases of how you birth a movement of multiplication. And by the way, that same characteristic in all 130 countries around the globe where we ha now have staff, we measure every country based upon the life of Christ. What phase are they in? Hmm. in building a movement? Because if you're a phase two country, there's hmm. certain things you got to do. If you're phase three country, you know what you got to do based upon what Jesus did. And it becomes a very powerful, what I love to say, crystal-centric, Christ-centered strategy of creating a movement of multiplication. So for 25 years, we, yeah, when 25 years, when we trained the life of Christ to youth pastors only for the first 15 years, we measured every youth ministry based upon what phase they're at, based upon the life of Christ. And when you understand the life of Christ, then ministry becomes so much clearer in my grip. You know, one of the things that you said that I think, um, I, I think you, you've kind of, you said so quickly that it was, uh, might've been glossed over that I know our listeners are back here going, what, what just happened? You, you said the four years of Christ, whereas most of us are taught yes. that only three years of Christ. Now I heard you in Nashville talk about this, but I do think it's important because right now there's someone opening their Bibles going, where's he getting four from? And they're not going to listen to anything else until we explain how um, you got to four versus yeah. the common belief of three. Right. Well, and I'd say most uh, most harmony writers would agree that Christ had a three and three quarter year ministry. And so they tend to round it to three. Uh, Thomas and Gundry, the most classic, or A.T. Robertson's Harmony of the Gospel, they all say Jesus had three and a half to three and three quarter year of ministry. They tend to round it to three. Um mm -hmm. But it really was closer to four. It, on my doctoral project, I, I think you could almost argue that Jesus might even had a four and a half, five-year ministry, but it's just so hard to defend. I decided not to fight that battle because of his pre and ministry. There's so much that happened during that time. It's hard to cram that into a harmony. And so most... There are about 30 harmonies that have been compiled around the world. They almost all agree that Jesus had three and a half to three and three quarter year ministry. You'll find some who argue for one year, some who argue for two and a half to three year, but they're really not that respected. So really you have to think in terms of three and a half to three and three, definitely three and three quarter years, what I would say. Well, let me get a little personal here with um, in, in your life. You, you kind of mapped out these five phases, which are, are very succinctly and well said. 
as you're doing your doctoral research and you begin to learn this about Jesus, uh, how does that change you as a Christ follower? Wow. It was, um, <laughs> how much time do we have? Um, <laughs> I, I think that the major thing for me, and, and, and Justin knows this, anybody who's been around me long knows that when you really dive into what I call that real Jesus, the fully God, fully man Jesus, you begin to understand real quickly that Jesus said we can do everything he did. Yeah. Any of you have faith in me, you can do what I've done. No, he said, you can even do greater things. Now, now you have to deal with those scriptures. Most people, most Americans, my experience, I would say 90, 95% of Christians in America think of Jesus as a superhuman, not fully human, God. And so they think Jesus did what he did because most of the time he used his God card to do things. Mm. And he pulled out that God card and did miracles through by the power of his God card. But that's not even what Jesus said. Jesus said, the miracles I did, I did not do. The Father did them in through me, in me and through me. The miracles which God did through Jesus, Acts tells us. So how it changed me more than anything is to come to full wrestling and grips with the reality that Jesus was fully human. Now, he was also fully God. But Mm -hmm. that humanity... Hebrews 2 says the only way he could be fully human <clears throat> and fully God at the same time is he had to veil that deity so that his humanity could be expressed. In other words, everything Jesus did, he did not do by using his God card. He did through the power of the Holy Spirit, word, and prayer. And that's why Jesus said, you can do what I do if you walk like I walked. And so how did it impact me? I began to look a lot, not only at the message of Jesus or the ministry of Jesus, but I looked at the very model of his life. What was the attitude of Jesus? We're to to have the same attitude as Jesus. How did Jesus think, not just what did Jesus do? Hmm. And you fall in love with Jesus all over again. I mean, I said, 50 years studying the life of Christ. I never, never tire of Jesus. I really tire of how-to seminars. <laughs> I'm tired of teaching my stuff. Yeah. But I never tire of teaching Jesus. Because just this morning, I probably spent three hours wrestling with the love of God, the love of Jesus in a whole fresh new way. He's a deep well. And, yeah. and we're not, salvation is not, a gift we received as much as a person that receives us. <laughs> and and when we come mm-hmm. to Jesus, not to a doctrine or a code or a, even a gift, we come to the person of Jesus. He is our Savior. So how does it impact you when you get to the real Jesus of the New Testament? You realize, you know what? I can do what Jesus did if I walked as Jesus walked. Now, I have to put a caveat there. Jesus was sinless, and we're not. Mm-hmm. We're sinful. Right. Four times the scripture says he will yet without sin. But having said that, if you really understand that, he understood temptation even more than we do. Hmm. 
because he faced every temptation and never caved. We always cave. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. he can empathize with us and he can help us. And he did everything through the power of the Holy Spirit, word and prayer. Everything. He was conceived by spirit, led by spirit, anointed by spirit, did miracles by spirit, raised by the spirit. Everything yeah. he did through the power of spirit. And he said, now you can do this too. Mm-hmm. And so they it- did. They did almost every miracle Jesus did, except, you know, one or two. And they they were quick to say, we didn't do it. God did it through us. Just like Jesus said, I didn't do this. The Father mm. did it through Yeah. I'm sorry. You get me going there. But no, <laughs> this is awesome. Such a powerful thing. Yeah. Dan, one of the ways that you've most impacted me is from one of our, our lunches together. And I forget what the question was, but I remember your answer. You said, you know, well, for me, um, making disciples has never been enough for me. And I remember hearing that in my mind, I'm like, what? Like, this is, I mean, at that point, that's, that was, that's my whole aim in life is to make disciples for the glory of God and uh, promote new Jesus followers to maturity, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I said, well, what do you mean? And, and you told me, you said, well, I believe that God has called us to, to follow his example. And that includes not only multiplying our life and others, but also multiplying those others into a movement. And that totally shifted um, my motivation expanded it, right? So instead of a target being near, it got a little further out there. And one of those first um, objections that people normally have as we think about that or talk about those things is, well, wait a second, I'm not Jesus. And so I'm really excited that you just unpacked for us, right? That Jesus was human, right? And that piece of who Jesus was is super important because if we believe he was superhuman or only God and not human, then we can't fully follow that example that he's given us. And so, yeah, this is super um, good, good, good stuff. Um, Yeah. yeah. Even as Augustine said, if Jesus was not fully human, then our atonement is not complete. That's the argument of Hebrews too. He had to be fully human to make atonement for our sin. And so that's the real Jesus I like to talk about. And you know what, Justin, and we've talked about this, but what this does to me is, yeah, I'm committed to making disciples. Yes, I'm committed to uh, keeping my walk with the Lord and bearing fruit, more fruit and much fruit. But you know what? Those are all byproducts Mm -hmm. of staying connected to the vine Hmm. those are all byproducts of going deeper and deeper and deeper with jesus yeah and and that's why i I love our ministry was called sun life because we're not teaching strategy we're not teaching discipling as much as we're teaching the son's life and i'm convinced the church in america has missed this the early first, second generation, you know, first couple hundred years, they understood the real Jesus because they remembered him. They saw mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. We've we've made Jesus into this Superman or some caricature. And therefore, we call people to this superhuman, you know, God figure that nobody seems to identify with. And and then they they just quickly lose their love for him. Hmm. Yeah, I'll be honest, as as I kind of have done more of a deep dive into your life, one of the things that struck me is like, oh, Dan's entire ministry is just to tell people about Jesus. And then I thought to myself, 
why isn't that the ministry for the whole church? And and, and then it kind of led me to this place of like, you know, one thing that you're doing that I don't hear many um, uh, disciple makers, evangelists, or even, you know, apologists do is you're talking about the methods of Jesus. So, So let me ask you this. What happened in the North American church where we read his word, but don't actually study his actions? Well, that's a good question. Um, I, I always like to say it this way. There, you, you, 95% of the books that I read out there are on the message of Jesus. And we're going to yeah. spend eternity studying his message because it's profound. And all scriptures point to Jesus. So I can find Jesus in the book of Leviticus very easy. You know, so all scripture points to Jesus. But most of the books are on the message. More and more books are getting down to the methods of Jesus. And that's making disciples, uh, incarnational, relational methods. But I like to push people beyond just the the methods of Jesus. I like to push them to the model of who he was in his humanity. Again, that's my picture of the real Jesus. Because now you have to deal with his heart. You have to deal with his attitudes. You have to deal with his thought process. You have to deal with why did Jesus do what Jesus did? Why did Jesus not get involved in politics? Why did Jesus have such compassion on that that woman who's being stoned? Why did he weep when he come down Mount of Olives? You know, you, you have to ask deeper questions. What was the real Jesus like? Again, I come back 40 times. This is one of the first things I discovered. Jesus said, do what I've done, walk as I walk, follow the pattern I gave you. And, and so often, if you don't wrestle with, with the earthly human Jesus, see, um, there are several forms of Jesus. The Bible says there are five forms theologically, and I won't go into all the theology of this, but let me give you three very practically. You have the pre-incarnate Christ who appeared as the angel of the Lord. You have the incarnate Christ who became flesh and dwelt among us. And then you have the resurrected, glorified Christ. Okay. And most of us spend our time thinking about the resurrected, glorified Christ. And that's wonderful. We're going to spend eternity with that glorified, resurrected Christ who has a body in heaven. Okay. Now, but but we're not told to do what the pre-incarnate Christ did. We're not told to do what the resurrected, glorified Christ did. We're told to do what the incarnate, I call it the I-Jesus. You know, you have iPhone, iPad, (laughs) I-Jesus. What the I-Jesus did. And that's the one we, the church in America, is not talking about. Yeah, We keep talking about the resurrected, glorified Christ, which is wonderful. You worship the resurrected, glorified Christ, but we imitate the incarnate Christ. Mm -hmm. The more I begin to imitate the incarnate Christ and study the incarnate Christ, the more my worship for the exalted Christ begin to go through the ceiling. Mm. Yeah. So one of the things and, I've and heard you say, the Dan, of, is I think how put this whole thing. we want to follow and engage the Great Commission with a great commandment heart. Yes. Okay, we froze right there. We froze uh, them right there. Yeah. All right, Justin, start over again with the Great Commission with the Great <laughs> Commandment heart. Okay. Sorry, I realized I was lagging after I said it. 
Um, so Dan, one of the things I've heard you say is that we need to engage the Great Commission out of a Great Commandment heart. Can you share with our listeners kind of what that means and how you came to that? Yeah, well, Matthew 22 comes before Matthew 28. And Matthew 28 is a great commission, go and make disciples. But Matthew 22 says, love the Lord thy God with the whole heart, soul, mind, and love thy neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And there, Jesus said, there's really only one command, and then he gives two. Well, you can't separate loving people from loving God. When you love God, you love people. When you love people, you love God. So mm-hmm. the great commandment, is absolutely essential to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Otherwise, a Great Commission becomes a task, a project, a job. And and it's the degree in which we have the heart of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus, is a degree which I think we will be fruitful in the fulfilling of the Great Commission, making disciples. Um, So you can't separate the heart from the hands. Uh, hmm. it, it's just a, a, a non-starter for me. Uh, I worked yeah. with way too many people who said they're committed to the Great Commission, but they can't stand people. <laughs> and, and, you know, or their, their, their organization shows it, you know, they're, it, it's, it's not either or. And, and the reverse is true. I, I know a lot of churches say, oh, we're just about loving God and loving people. But if you're not focused on the Great Commission, you're missing something. We're to Love God, love people, and make disciples. Those six words summarize it all. Hmm. But they're that yeah. order. Love God, then you will love people, then you'll be yeah. committed to making disciples. Yeah. And well, if we get those inverted somehow or backwards, right, yeah. it it leads to problems, not only personally, but also in our ministries, right? If we if our yeah. primary goal first is the Great Commission and getting people to do something, um, and yet we're not following God then we end up with burnout and all sorts of unhealth in churches. But that's how I, I love the way you phrase that because it's it brings those two together in, in a way that oftentimes we don't hold together, right? For some reason, we we look at one and then we, we look over here at another one, at the other one, instead of looking at them, you know, wedded together in the relationship that they have. You asked a question earlier, how did my study of Jesus impact my life? And next to just basically understanding how he grew a movement and he was committed to making disciples, the number one thing that impacted me was Jesus' love uh, and his love for people. And uh, matter of fact, we ended up producing hours and hours of training on this. So one of the first key foundational priorities is creating an environment of love in our ministry. I grew. I always say it this way. I grew up in a very large rural Midwestern conservative, staunch German rural, uh, rural uh, pig farming family in South Dakota. And anybody who knows about anything about that kind of family knows my dad was staunch German. My dad never ever told me he loved me. Hmm. Uh, it, it just because it wasn't done. It didn't mean there wasn't love. He just never yeah. told me. Yeah. And I remember when I began to study Jesus and see all the scriptures about love and uh, pursue love, let you know, go from love to love and just go. And I began to wrestle with that. I realized I was not good at communicating. I love you. I care. And that was one of the first major breakthroughs in my life was God had to break me out of retreat that we had organized around the theme of love. 
And it was a disaster. And I had to stand before the kids at the end of that retreat. We had a communion service schedule. And, and with tears falling to my face, I apologized because God clearly showed me, Dan, the problem is you. You really don't love the sheep I've called you to shepherd. You want them mm. to perform. You don't really love them like I love them. And God broke me. And that created the first spiritual awakening in our youth group. Because, But God had to break me first because I did not have the great commandment in my heart. Hmm. Well, hmm. I, I, I'm curious about that, Dan. Like, So there's probably somebody listening who's like wrestling right now about whether or not they have the great commandment in their heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my, my temptation is to be like, is there a test he can take online? Uh, No. Um, How would you tell somebody to to test it, to test their heart? And then, you know, if if they don't feel like they have that love, where does somebody, where does somebody start? Well, it's, I'll tell you where I started. I I first began to ask the question, do I really love those God's called me to shepherd? And I began to read all the passages on love and, um, and get to the Laodicean church where they lack that love. They lost that first love. Uh, then I begin to ask the question, do those in my ministry know that I love them? And, and um, I begin to realize I was not good as a leader at showing love. Hmm. I grew up in a staunch German pig farm family. And if, you know, my dad said when he got married to my mom, I love you and never told her again for 50 years. And that's the wow. truth. Wow. But, but it didn't mean there wasn't love. He was not good at showing it. So I was not good at showing love. So I had to learn that. So God was dealing with me, the shepherd, before he could minister through me to get to the sheep. I had to love like Jesus loved. Would I weep over some of the sins of my people? Mm. I wasn't that way. I would get mad at them. Was I expecting the best of them? First Corinthians 13. You know, God used a whole bunch of scripture. It, it, he had to work my heart over in this area. And I don't, I, I'm still dealing with that. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Since we've been moving the last couple of years, I haven't led anybody to Christ for two years and it's killing me. Hmm. And I'm not a great hmm. evangelist, but God's always brought people into my world. But we we're moving and I haven't, and I just say, God, why? I, I just, you know, I need it. I need to make my own disciple, not disciple other people's disciples. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's, I, so I'm asking this morning, I told you I was studying the love of God. I said, God, is that lacking in my heart? Is there something I'm missing? And I'm convinced there is. I, because mm. God always has a way of getting to me first in order to work through me to reach somebody. So it's just tough questions. There's no pat answers on that. I, w- I wish it was an easy answer, but it was a painful process for me to, to, to recognize and acknowledge that I didn't have the love of God in my heart the way he loved his sheep. Hmm. Dan, I appreciate your, your openness and vulnerability on that. I think all of us have things in our life that we're struggling with. And if we're real with ourselves and with others, we, we can see those and name those. Um, I'm sitting here thinking about uh, four chair discipling, one of the books that you've mm-hmm. you've written that's really been helpful for me and a lot of others. And one of the the main premise, I guess, of the book is that that as disciples, there's a growth process that we move through, 
And the book kind of breaks it down into four different chairs, or we could say categories, if you will. Um, could you share with our listeners kind of what those four are and maybe give some description sure. of those and how, how that whole framework came to you and, and became so clear that you could communicate to others? Sure. And it, and it comes back again to my engineering background, analyzing the life of Christ. Yeah. Um, but you find Jesus basically had four challenges. Now, you could have more, but the first challenge he gave was to come and see. That was John chapter 1. And it basically means a low-level challenge. Just show up. Come and see. Come and see, he said to, mm-hmm. to a John's disciple. Then the next level was to follow me. This that means walk behind. It's the Greek word means follow in my steps. I believe it was given to the, the those who had already came and saw that Jesus was the Messiah, put their belief in him, and now they had to learn to follow him, to grow. The third challenge was 18 months in the life of Christ. He goes to five individuals, James, John, Simon, Andrew, and later on Matthew. These are not the 12 yet, but they become the 12. And he says, follow me. I'll make you a fisherman. I'm going to teach you how to reproduce. For 18 months, these guys have been following Jesus. Now he's going to kick it up and teach them to reproduce, help them lead someone to Christ, make a disciple can make a disciple. And then the last challenge was now go and bear fruit. And this is the fourth chair, we say, and it's the disciple-making chair. So you have seekers, chair one, believers, chair two, workers, chair three, and disciple-makers, chair four. And that's a disciple-making pathway in the life of Christ. Not if you treat all new believers as chair three people, you're not going to minister to them. Or if you chair treat chair three people like chair one, you're going to be a lousy pastor. Mm -hmm. You got to know where people are at, what their next step is, and you got to clearly define the end product. I this this book walk uh, four chair discipling and other study walk like Jesus, live like Jesus was developed while I was working with a mega church in Louisville, Kentucky. They had about 400 staff. We were training all of their pastors in the life of Christ. And as they began to teach these principles to others, they came to us and said, Dan, we need a simple curriculum, a simple way to transfer these principles to the thousands, tens of thousands of people in our church. So mm-hmm. we wrote that four-chair discipling, and then the walk like Jesus, live like Jesus, as a disciple-making pathway for to help people know what to do with chair three people, what to do with chair one people, what to do with chair two people. And so there's definitely a disciple-making pathway that you've got to take people through. And, and the key thing here, and this is where most people miss it, is our goal. Most churches say the goal is to get people to chair two and start serving. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a, a baby Christian yet. Our goal is to, yeah. you haven't made a disciple until they make a disciple. Our goal is to get people to chair four where they lead someone to Christ. And now they have a baby. They become a father, the Bible says, a children, young men, fathers, because they have a baby. And then mm-hmm. if they keep doing that regularly, they'll even get to place like I'm at where you have grandbabies. And life yeah. is really good when you have grandkids because your kids have kids. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. that's the joy of the Christian life. So that's what four-chair discipling walks through that pathway. I love it. 
let me ask you this, Dan, because I, I think that the, the North American church specifically, and I've, I was a local pastor before doing the disciple making work I'm doing now. Uh, one of the things that I was kind of wrestling with is, is I'm not necessarily sure that uh, the, the local church is always set up for disciple making. It's not, it's not quick enough for them. It's not fast enough for them. It's not scalable enough. Um, and, and I also see that that so much of what Jesus did was life on life. Now, I, I'm not uh, I'm not against curriculum. I'm not necessarily for curriculum. I I think we live in a tension of curriculum for disciple making versus non curriculum for disciple making. Uh, I I know I can just tell by the way that you talk about Jesus that you probably live in the same tension, and yet you're yeah. a curriculum creator. H- how yeah. how does that how does that pull on your heartstrings? What's the right tension for you when you're discipling a, a guy? How, how do you how do you walk that balance? Uh, for, for the first forty years of leading Sun Life and then Global Youth Initiative, we never wrote curriculum for that very reason. Mm-hmm. Because I'm an anti almost curriculum guy, but I, people would say, "Well, what's your curriculum?" And I want, in my facetious side, want just send them a Bible because this <laughs> is it. <laughs> Now, Justin and I feel the I same way. That's right. We can relate to that. Yeah. Well, I have a master's in education, so I, I understand that curriculum can help. But here's yeah. what happens with North Americans. We get so bound into a curriculum. And, and I say this about my own, too. That's why I don't like to promote it too much. We just put it together to help this mega church get out the values. Um, and I think there's a lot of better stuff out there, very honestly. Our guys in India have better stuff than we have here. So, but, um, but what, what you want to do is impart a life, but you got to have a clear plan of how to do that. Mm. And without a clear plan, it's really tough. I Mm. went through Bible school seminary, got two masters, a doctorate. I've had, I'm dumber than most. So I've had lots of schooling. And my problem is, like Howard Hendricks says, it take, took me four years to get through seminary, 40 years to get over it. Because mm-hmm. I don't think I've made a disciple until they know everything I know. And that's a disaster. Yeah. You got it. We got to get back to simple, reproducible, transferable nuggets. And, and, mm-hmm. and so curriculum can help if it's simple and transferable. Yeah, and, and so that's the tension I always face. Yeah, that's well said. Um, Dan, I was with a, a staff team just this week and uh, a question came up that comes up frequently. And I want to ask it to you because I know that a lot of our listeners have thought about it or will think about it. And the question is this, we sometimes in disciple making, we talk so much and think so much about Jesus and his life. And a lot of people in the church, especially pastors, have been trained to think and look at the life and ministry of Paul and what's happening in the epistles and in Acts 2, et cetera, et cetera. And at first glance, there really seems to be kind of a, a conflict or a different uh, methodology at play. And so the question normally comes out is like, well, yeah, OK, oh, well, I see Jesus doing this, but it seems like Paul was doing this other thing. And so they kind of wrestle through like, well, I don't know. I don't know which one to follow. It seems like we're in more of a Paul situation here than a Jesus situation. Um, How would you speak to that? And have have you faced that question before? I'm pretty sure you have. But yes, lots of times. And um, 
there's so, so many levels to answering this, but give me the quickest. I think people see him in conflict because they don't understand the real Jesus. If you understand the real Jesus, you'll see Paul just said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I was just on a Zoom call with all of our continent leaders, about 50 of them all together, our, our country and continent leaders. And we've got a guy who's written a book. He's taken the, the life of Christ that we teach, the five phases, and puts it in the book of Acts. and shows mm. how Paul did exactly what Jesus did. Hmm. And he's done a brilliant job. This guy's authored a lot of books. Um uh, Paul Peter Ronsfeld is his name. He's our, one of our leaders out of Australia. But he he is he got he was saturated uh, with Paul because, like most seminarians, uh, they are trained in Paul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're not trained in Jesus, and so they try to exegete back to Jesus, and they miss the real Jesus. If you understand Jesus, you'll see Jesus all over the. New Testament, yeah, and he Paul just did what Jesus did. Sure, he had a different context. Sure, he had a different time frame. But this guy and I, Peter Unsfeld, is just taking the five phases of Jesus and shows the five phases in the Book of Acts over the mm. thirty years of the Book of Acts. And and wow. all of us who've been trained in Jesus, yeah, no brainer, makes sense. <laughs> That's right. But so, but if if you've never been trained in Jesus and you. Tr- You've been trained in Paul, which most, and I went to seminary and Bible school. That's where I was trained mostly in Paul. You try yeah. to exegete back to Jesus and, and you just miss him. Yeah. You see, yeah. Your, your Christology defines your missiology, which determines your ecclesiology. Oh, say that again. Say that one more time. Yeah, yeah. say that again. Christology. <laughs> and this is the church in America. We have lost Christology. Nothing like the first few centuries of the church. Christology, the understanding of the real Jesus. Christology defines your missiology. What is your mission? Mm-hmm. And we're getting better and better at that. It's to make disciples and make disciples. Christology mm-hmm. defines your missiology, which determines your ecclesiology. Mm-hmm. How you do church. Yeah. That's the pattern in the scriptures. And so... That's why there are a lot of patterns for how you do church. I mean, I was just with our guys in India. Uh, Benjamin Francis planted 57,000 churches in the last 15 years. Their average are about 25, 30 people. The average age of their pastor is about 17 years of age. Wow. Hmm. But they do it in huts, not with wow. buildings. I, I mean, I could go around the world and show you every church around the world in every continent is different. But they all teach Jesus and how he made disciples. And that determines ecclesiology in different cultures' contexts. But unfortunately, in America, we have been so saturated with how you do church. We talk church growth, and and we try to exegete back to Jesus, and that just makes a mess. Yeah. That that actually might be the perfect segue to this new project that I'm I'm really intrigued by. And it seems like it's really going to put together a lot of these pieces that we've talked about here today and we, we've kind of been dancing around it in indirect ways, but I, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the, the like Jesus initiative and the work that you're doing there. Um, you, you're putting out this kind of this app and resource that I think is going to be this um, incredible tool for churches to get back to a really solid Christology. Um, I mainly put it together. It's a curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> and if I could do it again, I'd probably do it different. 
I don't think it's the best curriculum out there. Um, I'll just say it that way. And it's the first time I've written curriculum. Dan, you're it. supposed to be selling it. You're not supposed to be <laughs> saying that. <laughs> I did it for this mega church where we trained all of their 400 pastors in Jesus as yeah. a way to teach Jesus. So, <clears throat> yes, we've got to get back to the real Jesus. So, yes, that Like Jesus initiative is good. We identified three key things that we felt must be transferred from generation to generation. First was how Jesus made disciples. That's the four chairs, the disciple-making pathway. How did Jesus do that chronologically and developmentally? Then the second thing was how did Jesus create a culture of what a disciple looks like? That's walk like Jesus. That's the acronym Holy Spirit Power that we've got out of 35 years of studying the life of Christ. Here's what it means to walk as Jesus walked, 1 John 2, 6. That's the second book in the study, to walk like Jesus. We call it a Holy Spirit power. Holy Spirit dependent, prayerfully guided, obedience learned, word centered, exalt the Father in everything, and relationships of love and integrity. That's our acronym for how do you create a foundation of people who understand the real Jesus in its humanity. And then the third book was Live Like Jesus. I just went to John 17 because I found in that one chapter, I love just teaching the Bible. In John 17, Jesus had seven I statements. And in that high priestly prayer, he says, here's what I did to make my disciples. He's got his arms around him. He's praying for him. And he's telling his father, here's what I did to make these guys. I prayed for them. I protected them. I gave them the glory you gave me. I revealed you to them. I gave them the words you gave me. And there are seven I statements. So someone who's spent their life studying Jesus, I've got 90 plus hours of teaching on the life of Christ. That's kind of hard to put into a book. Right. (laughs) But in one chapter, Jesus gives me the outline. He said, I prayed for them. I cared for them. He cared through presence. He cared through his purity. He cared through protecting. And then he shared with them. He shared the word. He shared the ministry. And he shared the coming glory. So we just, that last resource, I think is one of my best. But it's a simple way for anybody to make disciples. Pray, care, share by doing the seven I statements of Jesus. To walk like Jesus. Um, mm. So that's what those yeah. and they're not everything you need about Jesus. I mean, we got hours and hours and hours. And and just this morning, I could add another hour from what I learned studying. But, <laughs> but that's what Jesus is. He's a deep well. Yeah, you keep yeah. deeper and deeper in Jesus. And and so, but those are three very simple transferable things. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Hey, we're going to link to all this stuff in the show notes. The Like Jesus Initiative, the books that Dan has written and has been referencing uh, Dan's website, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Dan, I wanted to ask you, I know that Israel is a special place to you. You mentioned you've been there dozens and dozens and dozens of times and led trips there. Um, you mentioned, uh, in one of our conversations that you're kind of working on something related to Israel. Uh, I know it's not a fit probably for all our listeners, but there might be somebody out there that's been touched by what you've said, by who you are, and they might be interested to hear more. Can you share a little bit about that? Well, I'm not sure what we're referring to here. There's a couple things we're doing right now related to Israel. We're doing a big gathering in Israel in 2023 for all our country leaders, but I don't okay. think that's what we're referencing. 
Um, it was something you're raising some money. Maybe I don't know if it was okay, for that, that specifically yeah, we, or what it was for. It was raised. Yes, it is for that uh, in Israel gathering where we bring okay. all of our country leaders in and key donors in uh, okay. to cast a vision for living like Jesus and getting to know the real Jesus. But another thing we have just done, and this is our Australian ministry helped put together, and this for your listeners, I think, would appreciate. Okay. There's an app. It's <clears throat> or you just Google this, knowing him dot app, A-P-P, okay. knowing him, K-N-O-W-I-N-G, knowing him dot app. You'll come, you Google that, comes right up. There's a website and or you can download an app, but there's, it, it's, it's our link for the website. And on that, we have a 50 day chronological study of the life of Christ. Oh. And so Jesus is a baby. Jesus is a boy. Jesus is a young man. Jesus is a carpenter. Jesus launches yeah. his ministry. Then we look at the first phase of Jesus' ministry, second phase of Jesus' ministry, third phase. Now, what our ministry in Australia did, we also have produced 50 podcasts that go along with those 50-day chronological study of Jesus. Oh, but wow. then we also produced probably about 40 videos shot on location where this event happened in the life of Christ. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it's a great resource if you want to get to know the life of Jesus better and see it linked to the land of Israel. Now, yeah. again, there's so much more that could be done. Obviously, you can't cover all of Jesus in 50 days, but we, right. we get an overview in 50 days. And you'll see the five phases in that. And it's free. Yeah. Knowinghim.app. Uh, We will link to that. And for our listeners, I have done that study and it really is excellent. So I'd recommend it really highly. And the beauty of this new website that our, our Australian ministry put together, you can take all your notes right on the computer and keep them in storm forever. Um, oh, wow. So it, it, you can do an online study with others anywhere in the world. And it's just uh, the way they put it together. It's free. It's simple. It's transferable. That's great. I, I, um, I have one more question for you, Dan. But before I ask it, I know that our listeners are going to want to connect with you online. Where's the best place to learn about the next Jesus book you're writing or the next project or the next or all things Dan Spader? Well, uh, probably one of our websites. Just go to um, concentricglobal.com. Uh, that's our international ministry, concentricglobal.com. Go to sunlight.com or go to danspader.com. Um, there's a bunch that's of great. personal stuff, my story. Um, some other things I've done on danspader.com. I think some people might find of interest or email me dan at D-A-N-N at G-Y-I dot C-C. I'm totally okay. Love to talk with people. Um, love to interact with them. So if I can serve any of your listeners, more than glad to. Might just meet another Justin. World changer. <laughs> World changer for sure. Uh, okay. The last question I love to ask people when I'm interviewing them is an advice question, except I get to take you back to a very specific time in your life. Um, and I ask you to give yourself some advice. So I'm going to ask you to go back and talk to young Dan, uh, the day after you graduated seminary. So there you are the day after you graduated seminary, if you could go back and look that young man in the face, what would you say so many years later? Uh, be involved in the work of evangelism because Philemon verse six says, I pray that you're active in sharing your faith so that you come to a full understanding of all the good things you have in Christ Jesus. 
Now, mm. I think that's the NIV translation, but it's a great translation. In other words, I think there's a lot of people been through Bible school seminary who still don't understand Jesus because they've never given away Jesus. It's when you mm. give away Jesus, you gain Jesus. Mm. And I think so many teenagers are walking from their faith because if Jesus has been told them, here's all the stuff you get with Jesus, they've never given Jesus away. Therefore, they've never come to full understanding of who they are in Christ. So without evangelism, you cannot become a fully trained disciple. Discipling begins and ends with evangelism. I love it. Simple, profound, and yet so important. And I'll tell you, I'm the worst at it. I mean, I just... (laughs) I evangelism is way down in my gift mix, but I prioritize it for that reason. Well, um, yeah, this, this was like drinking Jesus through a fire hose. So I'm super thankful for that. Uh, I love talking about Jesus and uh, I love what uh, Jesus has changed your life and the way it's impacted so many. So thank you for being so generous, um, to, to chat with us today. Thank you for your ministry and what you do for the kingdom. Um, really all over the world. My pleasure. Anything I can do to serve any of your people, let me know, especially if you want to talk about Jesus. (laughs) Go. Well, we look forward to connecting again real soon. Sure. Sure.